Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Unplayable Podcast. On this episode, Australia's Men's Ashes squad has been announced and we're lucky enough to chat to Chairman of Selectors, George Bailey, to run us through the selections. My name is Josh Shonafinger and normally I'm joined by Louis Cameron, but today I'm joined by cricket.com.au journalist Martin Smith. Welcome, Martin. Thanks, Josh. I can't help but feel this is a bit of a step down in terms of cricket ability with uh, iconic Victorian fast bowler Louis Cameron. <laughs> No longer on the podcast, so I definitely don't have as much cricket experience. Um, I did notice that Louis picked the West Indies to win the T20 World Cup, though, so hopefully my analysis is at least not worse than that. I think I can cover that off. That's right. Don't say yourself too short. Just before we get into our chat with George Bailey, I'll run you through the 15-man squad that they've selected for the first two tests against England. Obviously, the captain is Tim Payne. He'll take the gloves. The batters are David Warner, Marcus Harris, Manus Labuschagne, Steve Smith, Usman Khawaja, Travis Head and Cameron Green. They've gone with seven bowlers in the squad as well. Patrick Cummins is vice-captain. Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, Michael Nisa, Jai Richardson and then two spinners in Nathan Lyon and Mitch Swepson. So they're the 15 that they'll take to the Brisbane Test and to Adelaide. And this is what George Bailey had to say about it all. is complete. Australia have beaten England by five to nothing. So George, before we get into the serious business of uh, the Ashes squad that you've picked today, um, you are known as the whitewash wizard. Um, Obviously in your playing career, five Ashes tests played, five Ashes wins, never played again, 100% record. Does that legacy go on the line this summer with another Ashes series when you're involved in the national team again, or is it just cut it off always the whitewash wizard from your playing days? No, look, you can't change that, can you? You can't, you can't go back and, uh, and erase that. So, uh, it, look, it's one, of the, it's, it's one of the challenging things being the, um, in this role now is that um, when, the, when the players do lose a test, it's, it's very hard to, to understand what they're going through. I, don't experience, I haven't experienced that emotion. It's very hard to be empathetic. Very tough being the wizard, George, but that's just part of it. Um, so the squad you've picked today, you picked a 15-man Ashes squad, 11 Australia A. Was it, was it a difficult squad to pick or was it sort of did it sort of pick itself based on a lot of the form that guys have been shown early in the Shield season? No, there's always challenges. Um, yeah, I think at any given time there might be 60 to 90% that, that picks itself. But, um, but hopefully you, you're all, those last few spots are always challenging and this was no different. There's, there were a few spots that... They were really challenging. Um, there's some good depth in a number of roles, and that's that's great to see too. So, George, you've gone with the 15-man squad for this upcoming Ashes series, and normally in Australia, I guess, we're used to seeing smaller squad sizes, but can you just run us through why you've gone for the, the biggest size on this occasion? Yeah, 
not sure if you've noticed, but it's just been a, it's been a bit of a challenge to get around the country of late, and there's been a few things going on there. So, um, so we just it's looking like things are going to be a little easier this year in terms of um, in terms of how we get around and, and what the summer looks like. But we just want to make sure that we, I guess, we're in complete control of of having the players um, that we want where we want them. Um, and particularly given the fact that um, you know wanting to wanting to announce the the two squads today, but not quite having um, full access to information around how those guys have come back from the World Cup and how they're how they um, how they're pulled up. So I guess out of you know you got twenty six players there, but all that um, you know a really vast um, range of of preparation in terms of heading into an Ashes series. So George, we saw ahead of the twenty nineteen Ashes in England. I know you weren't part of the the group at that point, but they had that sort of selection shootout Australia v Australia A down in Southampton and then picked the squad after that. I think when it was announced a couple of weeks ago, there was going to be a, a three-day game in Brisbane before the first test. There was a lot of, I guess, anticipation that was going to be a similar sort of scenario. You haven't gone down that path. You've picked your 15 that you're going to stick to for the first couple of tests. Did you think about having that that similar scenario that you had a couple of years ago or were you obviously happy just to, to back the guys that you've, you've picked in the 15? Oh, I think at times there's great merit to it. If it if it fits and it works, then um, then you know you'd be mad not to see that that um, you know effectively your your strongest domestic players um, playing a hit out against each other would be a great test. Uh, and I, I think for a number of the players, you know, we're only going to use it as a as a, a preparation tool. But I think still performances in it will be. Um, will be watched so you know that I think that's important but it just again given the range of and and where people are at the that game is going to mean different things to different people um and it's not the first test and there's no point having a um you know a huge hit out that that cooks that cooks your players before you've got to the start line George, we saw your comments last week I think or a couple of weeks ago about Marcus Harris you got right behind him and and sort of backed in to have a, a you know a long stint as, as David Warner's opening partner, starting with the first test. Was that an intentional strategy to to really publicly get behind him, or were those quotes taken out of context a little bit? What was the thinking behind what you said about Marcus, and, and what are you expecting from him um, this summer? Not so much a defence of him. I just think it's important that when you um, when you're feeling strongly about a player and, and you and you've got clarity on a player, that you um, you let them know that again. It's a, it's a five. It's a five-match test series. You don't, um, you know, wherever wherever possible, you don't need to make it a, a seven or eight-match test series by um, leaving them in, in the dark. And the point around around Harry was that his domestic form has been outstanding. You know, his head and shoulders above um, above those in uh, those guys around him in that role. And um, and the ten tests he has played, they haven't come in a group. He's he's come in. He's been out. Um, yeah, you tell tell me a batsman who wouldn't have learnt something on that on that tour of England. I think it was the from both teams some of the the best displays of fast bowling um, that you've seen. I don't think any opening batsman particularly enjoyed the series. So all of those things are, are building a you know a life experience and cricket experience for him. And and he he's a learner and he's going. I, lo- I love the fact that he um, chose to head across to England this winter and play for Leicester and had a really successful year for them. Um, he's come back and he's, 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 um, scored a hundred already. And you know, again, a, a pretty challenging, I think, start to the year for Victoria and New South Wales. It's not easy when you're, um, when you're seeing other States 
up and about and playing cricket around the country and you're waiting, waiting, waiting for your opportunity. So the fact he did that, you know, all, all gets me excited. So it looks like Kawaj and Head will be battling it out for that number five spot. Were those two the standouts or were there other contenders for that position? No, I think we've actually got a, a little bit of depth in that role. I think Nick Maddinson's in, in really great touch as well, um, continues to mature as a cricketer. The thing I've really liked about his, uh, his cricket over the last little while is, um, you know, we know he can take attacks apart. He's, he's got the attacking game, but starting to, to see him really um, pick and choose when he, when he does that. Um, he's had some innings where he's had to graft it out. He's played on some challenging wickets. Um, he's a terrific player of spin. Uh, Matt Renshaw in, in much the same boat, I reckon. He's um, obviously shifted from the, the top of the order into the middle order for Queensland and, and he's looking great um, when he does it. I think his game's in really good order. Uh, he scored 100 uh, a couple of weeks ago against Tasmania and I thought that was a great blueprint of what it can be like at, at number five. I think he was in about the second ball of the second Newey um, and then had to work his way through the second new ball, got his way to stumps restarted the innings the next morning and, and then took the game apart and scored 100. Again, a really good player of spin. So um, that's great to see. You know, Alex Carey's performance with the bat, you, you could almost argue that he, he puts his name up as, a, um, as, a, as an out-and-out batter as well. So, um, you know, Hedy and Uz have been the, the guys that have been given the opportunity, but, um, but I'm really confident that we've got some, got some um, you know, good... good um, contenders for that role um, going forward. Um, and, you know, I know a lot's been made of, of Mitch Marsh and we know that he's another one who's batted in, in that number six role at test level and has done it with success. So we know he's got the game that, that can succeed there as well. So, um, you know, you, you're starting to put together a, a decent bunch of, of, uh, of players there. And just on the World Cup, how satisfying was it to see it all play out with Australia winning their maiden men's T20 World Cup title? Just overwhelming emotion was just happiness for the for the players in particular. Um, uh, yeah, it's I, I don't think people understand the the, the difficulty in, in winning them, um, and and you need to a obviously play particularly good cricket. Um, you need a lot of things to go your way as well. So um, f- I guess from my point of view, the 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 whole process was was really good. I think you you go through that. We had our 15 man squad and we were, we were able to select from those guys right throughout the tournament. So our, uh, our triple SM, our physios, our strength and conditioning, our doc, they did a wonderful job to make sure that, um, that come the pointy end of the tournament, we were able to be picking our best, our best team, um, which, you know, we, you saw a number of other teams, not, not with that ability. So that was huge. Um, I think the, the, there's so many little nuances within the game itself. I think the coaching staff did particularly well to take complete control of their little areas and um, get the trust and the buy-in and and the support of the players, give the support to the players. And that's probably the final bit. I thought thought the response after the English game, uh, I thought Finchie um, galvanised that group and, and, and they doubled down on the way they wanted to play um, and, and um, they played, they put their balls on the line in terms of wanting to be an aggressive, an aggressive team and, um, and to play, you know, if, if they were going to go down, they were going to go down playing the way that they wanted um, and full credit to them. And I guess finally it's, it's, you know, tournament style play and the art of it is to be playing your best cricket at the back end and, and hats off to that entire group because they were, they were certain they were getting better and better as it went on. George, just one last one on the Ashes squad. Obviously, Michael Neese is in there again. 
as he's been picked in, in most test squads for the last three years. He still hasn't played test cricket. He's got so close. He's been such a great contributor for Queensland. First of all, how is he fitness-wise? He's got a bit of a hamstring niggle. And secondly, are we going to see him get a game finally? He, he's been so close on so many occasions. Are we expecting to see Michael Nisa in a bag of green this summer? Fully expect him to be fit come there. I think this one's a, a, you know, quite a minor one and uh, more frustrating than anything for him. But he's in a, he's in a pretty good place as well. Uh, new dad, so a couple, couple of extra days of getting the hang of that um, will be good for him, I reckon. Um, yeah, he's, he's become he's, he's almost he's a bit like the Andy Bickle, isn't he, of um, of a, a different generation. He's he's right there, uh, such a popular member around the group, and does everything everything right. Um, yeah, fingers crossed that at some stage we're not. It's it's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Because it's um you know you, you want him to get an opportunity. You don't necessarily want it to be at the expense of of an injury or anything like that. But he does everything right. He still leads that Queensland attack with with great distinction. Um, so yeah, I, I love, I think everyone who, who's been around Ness and played with him and, and been with him on those Australian squads would love it to see him get an opportunity. Thanks George. Really appreciate you joining us on the unplayable podcast today. Thank you gents. 22 runs off the over. Make that 28 massive. And Michael Clark's seen enough. George Bailey has pounded Jimmy Anderson for 28 runs off the over. All right, so that was the chairman of selectors, George Bailey. Marty, do you reckon we're going to see that iconic pace um, trio of Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood be split up this summer at any point? Are we going to see Richardson, Nisa or maybe another quick get a crack this summer? I think think everyone sort of learned a lesson from last summer um, with those three fast bowlers going through all four tests in a short space of time and... I think everyone could sort of see right at the end with India batting for as long as they did that those three guys, they were just, they were pretty cooked by right yeah. at the end of it. So I think there'll be a lesson learnt there. And, and George Bailey said that as well, that, you know, he, he did meant, use that word, that cliche of squad mentality, but they do have a, a really good depth of fast bowlers. Obviously, James Pattinson's not around anymore, but you've got Jai Richardson and Michael Nessa in that squad. You've also got Scott Boland, yep. Sean Abbott, uh, Mark Steckity's been had a great couple of years. So they have depth there. Um, I think the interesting question is when do they rotate? You know, is it a horses for courses? You know, when does all this happen? And and who's the first in? Um, I had a chat with Ricky Ponting earlier today and he said it's Jai Richardson for him who's the first man in. Yeah, really? So, again, poor old Michael Nessa. He's, <laughs> he's literally been around a test squad for the last three years. Um, I think as George said in that chat, he's almost turned into the Andy Bickle of, of the, the current era. But we'd all love to see him get a go. But, yeah, look, Ricky's, Ricky's point of view was that that Jai, you know, we, we've seen what he can do. He's just had a lot of injuries, but he's he's got good pace. He's sort of that skiddy kind of bowler, so he is a bit different to the other guys and can swing it up front as well. And he, another one with both Nessa and, and Richardson's, they can bat too. They, yes, they add yep. plenty as, as with the bat. But um, So, yeah, that'll be interesting. I think we'll see. I'd be very surprised if those three quicks play five tests in six weeks. It's it's just not, not possible, particularly on these flat Australian wickets. So Nessa, Richardson, I think they'll all come into consideration. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting to see how that plays out. And another interesting point of contention will be the middle order. Number five, it appears, is down to Kawaja and Head. Um, but as George Bailey said, there's also plenty of depth in that position as well. Which way do you think they're going to go in this position? I'd be very surprised if Kawaja doesn't get a game. I think... They've brought him back into the squad. I'd be very surprised, particularly given he is an experienced player 
Um, I'd be very surprised if they brought him back into the squad and didn't pick him. Yeah. Um, and certainly that, would, that was Ponting's point of view as well. Um, I think Usman's record at the Gabba, number one, is fantastic. In Australia, is also very good. Um, George did did make the point as well that he does offer that flexibility in the squad. Um, you know, potentially as an opener, he can pretty much much bat anywhere in the top six. But yeah, I'd be very surprised if Kawad, if Kawaja doesn't play that first test. But the interesting thing is, the selectors haven't said either way which way they're going to go. And next week there is a Shield game, which is Queensland versus South Australia. <laughs> yeah. Kawaja versus Head, how much of a showdown that is, I don't know. It won't stop us talking it up as a as a bat off. But, but yeah, look, it'd be interesting. You know, if Kawaja gets a pair in that game and Travis Head gets a double hundred, then that sort of changes the conversation. But I'd, I'd imagine Kawaja would be the front runner at the moment. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, what that means for Head. He probably goes back and plays for Australia A and then tries to get in that way. And no room for the World Cup heroes either, Mitchell Marsh or Matthew Wade. We were sort of expecting Wade because he wasn't in that squad for South Africa. But but Marsh, on the weight of runs and confidence that he's now got, was definitely a chance you would have had to assume. It's amazing. I reckon a week ago or even four or five days ago, you would have said he used no chance. But <laughs> after that performance in the World Cup final, and I think it just reminded everyone what kind of form he's in. He's just in absolutely incredible form and, and probably confidence-wise has never been better. So there's definitely a case to, to have him in. He's, he's not in that 15 and George Bailey did say today that there won't be any changes to that 15 squad between now and the first two tests. So I guess that means that Marsh, he'll play that Australia A game just to get a bit of red ball cricket, go back to the big bash for the Perth Scorchers, probably bat at three where he's done so well and and then try and get, get into the team that way. Um, another thing Ricky Ponting did say today was that with the confidence Marsh had um, at the moment, he, he, he's got no issue with Marsh going from T20 cricket into Test cricket because he's just batting so well at the moment. Okay. Um, I think Mitch Marsh, he did pull himself out of a Shield game a couple of months ago just before the World Cup because he did say, I don't want to complicate my thinking for the World Cup. I think he's, he said quite offhand, but he said, I've pretty much just been practising hitting sixes for the last six <laughs> months and he was obviously doing that really well. So I don't think he's thought about red ball cricket at all for a while. So, But I guess he's got that little window now just to sort of remind himself about his red ball technique and see how he goes. But, yeah, no room for, for Mitch, but, you know, who knows, he might, he might get a role later in the summer and, and obviously his bowling's a, a handy option as well. And Marcus Harris is as good as locked in as David Warner's partner at the top of the order. It, it means that uh, Will Pukowski, who we saw for just one test last summer, we probably won't see him at all this year. Chris Rogers said today that uh, they won't see him in Victorian colours until probably at least February, given the schedule the Big Bash is going to come in. So it's a shame that we won't see Puck, but, I mean, he's still young enough. Let's hope that he's got time on his side. Oh, we just, it's, I just feel so sorry for him because he's obviously, A, he's such a fantastic player. He's such a fantastic person in the minimal dealings I've had with him. He's just you, you can't help but like him. I don't think everyone just wants him, A, just to get healthy, first of all. But he just he just deserves a crack at it, whether it's concussion or shoulder injuries or God knows what else. He just has had no luck. Um, and unfortunately, it, it, it just seems unlikely that he'll be able to play any cricket at all in the next little while apart yeah, from club cricket. Yeah. He doesn't have a big bash deal. Not that, you know, that's necessarily the, the best preparation for an Ashes series. But, yeah, with the, with the way the season is, as you said, with that two-month gap with no shield cricket, um, I think Rogers sort of indicated that he's not expecting to see him play for Victoria until February, obviously by which time the Ashes are done. So yeah. really sad and really disappointing. I'm sure Pukowski's crushed because he was really setting himself for this Ashes during the winter. But... Um, 
as we keep saying with him, he's he's 23. It feels like he's been around for so long. He should be in his 30s already, but he's still he's got a long career ahead of him. And and hopefully, once he finally gets that chance, like Pat Cummins, who had so many injuries, and now look at him go. So once he gets a decent run at it, I'm sure he'll be back. But it just won't happen this summer. Do you think if let's say that he gets himself cherry ripe in, in around early January, would he and he wants some top level cricket? Would he try and slot himself into a big bash team, or is that just not a priority for him at this point? Well, it depends if there's room as well. I think he did have a contract with the Melbourne Stars yeah, last did, year yeah. and didn't didn't play a game. Um, but yeah, look, I guess that that's possible. I, I think yeah, there might be a bit of second eleven cricket as well. But it, it'd be it'd be basically just club cricket for Melbourne yeah. that he'd be playing, and and whether you're able to come in off club cricket on suburban grounds and you know go and play a, a boxing day test i think you'd be you'd have to be pretty doubtful and, and both chris rogers and george bailey said that today that's pretty much not going to happen and it's yep. probably a step too far which which is a shame but um yeah there, there's there, there's probably more batting depth in form at the moment than a lot of people would have expected definitely six months ago there was a bit of doom and gloom about australia's batting as there often is but there's a number of contenders there and the strength of that a team i think proves that as well well, let's have a look at that A-team. It was announced today as well. 11 players, Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Scott Boland, Alex Carey, Henry Hunt, Josh Inglis, Nick Maddinson, Mitchell Marsh, Matthew Renshaw, Mark Steckety and Bryce Strait. Now, they'll play a three-day intra-squad match against the Australians. So well, there might be a bit of mixing and matching there, you'd imagine. And then they'll play a four-day match against the England Lions starting the day after the first test. So... Unfortunately, we don't get the official Aussie versus Australia that we all wanted, but we do get a good look at some of uh, the next in line for Australia. Yeah, and George Bailey spoke about those guys today. There'll be a number of names there that, that you know, unless you follow the Sheffield Shield closer, you've probably never heard of Henry Hunt or Bryce Street, but they're sort of those old school gritty opening batters who, um, you know, take the shine off the ball probably have strike rates in the 30s but um but that's okay that's sometimes what you need as, as an opening batter and another name that was that was brought up today um was Matt Renshaw I think a lot yep. of people have forgotten about him obviously uh four years ago he was the incumbent test opener and then missed out just before the first test and he hasn't been cited in national colours since pretty much or they did play one test oh, uh, in South Africa, in South Africa. Yeah. yeah but we are we all try and forget about that <laughs> one but um <laughs> Yeah, but he's obviously he's reinvented himself as a number five batter, um, and he, he scored a hundred against Tasmania about three weeks ago. That um, George Bailey mentioned in that chat that was sort of the the quintessential blueprint for how you want a middle order batter mm-hmm. to play because he's got skills against the new ball, obviously the second new ball, but obviously he's a part, an opener in a past life. He's very tall and got a big reach and can play spin really well. Yeah. And I think we've seen in the big bash he's got the ability to move through the gears probably more than he had when we first saw him in international cricket. So with a lot of test tours of Asia coming up next year, he's a name I think we need to watch out for. It'd be interesting to see how he goes for Australia A and then at the the start of next Shield season, who knows, he might even be a, a bolter for the, the test tour of Pakistan in March. But he's a name to watch. And I think Nick Maddinson as well. I think everyone's seen how well he's done over the last little while that if Kawaja, um, Travis Head, if they don't, if they don't do the job, you've got Alex Carey as well. There's actually some decent options, I think, more than people actually realise um, in terms of batting depth in Australian cricket at the moment. Yeah, so Renshaw's averaged over 60 in the shield since he's moved to the middle order, so certainly good signs there. And it's also given us a bit of a 
rubber stamped approval that Kerry and Inglis are the sort of two in vying for that Tim Payne role once Payne eventually decides to hang up the gloves, doesn't it? Yeah, which could be could be soon. We, we don't know. I think there's a lot of people are assuming that Payne, this will probably be his last series, the Ashes, yep, which means okay. that we'll need a new, A, new captain and B, a new wicketkeeper. Two pretty important positions, right? In, in March, right? So that's coming up pretty soon. So, yeah, there's a... I think when the squad was named today, there weren't that many surprises, but I think at a sort of secondary level, there's a lot of little little subplots going yeah. along that, um, you know, guys like Kerry and Inglis there, and, you know, throw Josh Phillippe in there as well. Jimmy Pearson wasn't picked today, but that probably says more about Inglis and, and Kerry than Pearson because he's had, Pearson's had a great couple of years as well. So there's a lot, a lot of little subplots, but that's after the Ashes. We've got an Ashes series to get through first. <laughs> And it all kicks off in just a few weeks. So stay tuned to cricket.com.au for all your new scores, video highlights and Ashes previews. And, of course, plenty more unplayable podcasts to come between now and then. Marty, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, mate. Cheers. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.